0: The Alan Watts iPhone app is now available on the iTunes App Store, featuring the entire Alan Watts podcast series at your fingertips. Visit alanwattsapp.com for more information. What do you do? You put your mind into two watertight compartments, one of which... You're abreast of science and the modern world and all that kind of thing. And the other compartment, which simply have nothing to do with that, is a completely cut-off thing called religion, where you believe in absolutely ludicrous propositions. A lot of people do that. But a lot of people want a religion which is difficult to believe in, because that's a kind of a test of faith, whether you can swallow it. Uh, it's like the story about... Abraham being told to sacrifice his son Isaac, and he was about to do it because you you do what you're told. It's a test of faith. People like the security of a definite religion. I mean, you've got to believe in, and this is the truth. I was once having an argument with a Jehovah's Witness, and uh, he said, don't you think that if there were really a loving God who was concerned about the human race, that he would provide us with an infallible textbook that would tell us how to live, I said he would do nothing of the kind. It would completely destroy the human mind. You know, you'd never have to think if that was the case. So, while there is that, here is then this possibility. See, is it to be no God? Is life just this trip from The maternity ward to the crematorium, and that the issue of religion is to improve that trip. That is to say, through social concern, through getting rid of poverty and war and exploitation and disease, is that the whole business of religion or is there something else? Those who take this view, which we will call the secularist position in theology, are of course strongly influenced by contemporary philosophy, especially in that form which is called scientific empiricism or logical positivism, which maintains that the idea of God is not a fallacy, but is a meaningless idea that in other words the proposition that there exists God and that God is the origin and creator and governor of everything that is happening they maintain that those sentences are utterly devoid of meaning as much so as if I were to say everything is up because they will say no logical proposition can be made about all processes whatsoever, because all propositions are labels on boxes, and you can't have the box containing all boxes, because this box would have no outside, and therefore it wouldn't be a box. So all propositions, all words, must refer to classes of some kind. And you can't have the class of all classes. And also, they would say, the notion that there is a God is meaningless because uh, it doesn't help you to make any prediction. Or they can ask it in this way. What evidence, supposing somebody could bring it forward, would completely satisfy you as disproving the existence of God? And no believer in God can think of any evidence that would conclusively prove that there wasn't a God. Just like psychoanalysts are completely incapable of thinking of any evidence which would disprove the existence of the Oedipus complex. So uh, they, on logical grounds, take this position. And so, since many theologians are, in fact, influenced by modern philosophy, take these arguments seriously, Uh, they would like to secularize the whole conception of religion. Or, to put it in Bonhoeffer's words, have Christianity without religion. Well, now, when you might say there is nothing to life except the trip between the maternity ward and the crematorium, that's what there is, I've heard something like that before. When asked, what is the Buddha? A Chinese master replied, it's windy again this morning. Another Buddhist master, on his deathbed, wrote the poem, From the bathtub to the bathtub, I have uttered stuff and nonsense. The bathtub in which the baby is washed at birth, and the bathtub in which the corpse is washed before burial. All the time between, he said, I was going yakety yak. Now, what about those poems? Do they mean what they say? Well, not quite. Uh, There's something different here. Because... They are based on a life devoted to the discipline of a very particular kind of meditation, culminating in a completely shattering experience, which is very difficult to talk about, but generally speaking, It is the encounter with eternity, with the eternal. Not necessarily in the sense of that which goes on and on and on through time, but the eternal is the timeless. That which transcends time is beyond measurement in terms of hours and days. And when a person who is in that state of consciousness or has been through it looks at uh, the ordinary everyday world. It's true he sees the ordinary everyday world, as we see it, but with a very, very extraordinary difference. And if we would have to put that difference into some sort of Western Christian-influenced language, he would perhaps say, don't you realize that sitting around here in this room, with our ordinary everyday faces and clothes and personalities, We are sitting smack in the middle of the beatific vision. And that this sitting here in this room is infinity and eternity precisely. It is it. And this is the beatific vision. This is God. And it feels that way too. Really does, or something like it. But in this kind of religion, they still have temples, they have Buddhas, and they chant sutras and offer incense and ring gongs and all that kind of thing. But they're always saying that the highest religion, to get really to get there, you have to kill the Buddha. Supposing a clergyman got up one day in the pulpit and said, <clears throat> Every time you say Jesus Christ, you have to wash your mouth out. Or if you meet God the Father, kill him. If you meet God the Son, kill him. If you meet God the Holy Spirit, kill him. If you meet the Pope, kill him. If you meet uh, St. Augustine, kill him. If you meet your father and mother, kill them. Kill them all right away. All right, what I've been saying is simply translating into Christian terms, a Buddhist uh, teacher are uh, talking about the year 800 AD. <clears throat> That's what he said. Only he put the Buddhist names in where I put the Christian ones in. But I don't think this is what is happening in the movement of the new theology. I think that what's happening there is that they are just getting rid of God this is not this other thing I'm talking about which could be called the religion of no religion you see if you you could take this right into Christianity because uh, to the extent that every Christian is a Jew you see we use the Jewish scriptures as the Old Testament so every Christian is a Jew you who are supposed to believe in the Ten Commandments, and one of them says, Thou shalt not make to thyself any graven image of anything that is in the heavens above, or the earth beneath, or the waters that are under the earth. Thou shalt not bow to them nor worship them. And that is what this (coughs) thing I've been talking about is. It is a destruction of idols, because The most dangerous graven images are not those which are made of wood and stone. They are those which are made of ideas. And it is uh, well known to the great mystical tradition of the world, all over the world, that the sort of supreme vision can only come when you have got rid of every idea of God whatsoever. It would be like, as I've often used this image, cleaning a window on which somebody has painted blue sky. Well, to see the sky, you've got to scrape off the paint. Well, you say, my goodness, you shouldn't take that nice blue painting off. It's very good. It was done by a great artist. See how pretty the clouds are. You mustn't do that because uh, we won't have any that blue sky anymore. See? So in that spirit, the great mystics have always ceased to cling to God. That is because the only God you can cling to is the idea of God. In order to discover God, you have entirely to stop clinging. You you see, why does one cling to God? For safety, of course. You want to save something. You want to save yourself. I don't care what you mean by saved, whether it just means feel happy, or feel that life is meaningful, or, uh, you know, there's somebody up there who cares. So one clings. And if you don't cling to God, you cling to something else, the state, money, sex, yourself, power. These are all false gods. You've been listening to Alan Watts from the Spoken Word Library of the Electronic University. For copies of this and other Alan Watts programs, please go to alanwatts.com on the World Wide Web or call us toll free at one 800 watts That's A-L-A-N-W-A-T-T-S.com or 1-800-W-O-W-A-T-T-S. The Watts website features free audio downloads program lists, and information on Watts' life and works. Once again, that's allenwatts.com or 1-800-W-O-Watts.